Well, good morning, Getwell Church. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. My name is Greg Meek. I am pastor to Families and Next Gen, and I'm really excited to be able to be a part of this series. I had several people at the first service joke with me because they said when they come in and they get the bulletin and they look on the back and there's no outline, they know I'm preaching. So that's, my, that's, your, that's your cue for the future because I really do, I don't want to force feed anything. I want to, you guys to take notes as however the Spirit moves you in whatever message I do. But uh, I really am honored to be here. We are in week four of our series where we are looking at the statements of Jesus from what we know is the Sermon on the Mount. These statements are also called the Beatitudes, and they were recorded by the Jewish tax collector turned disciple that we know as Matthew. Now, just to give you some context for this chapter 5, we, I love to go back and look a little bit ahead and we see in chapter 4 that Matthew records several things. He records Jesus' temptation in the desert, the beginning of his ministry, the calling of the first four disciples, and then it says he was ministering to great crowds. By the time we get to chapter 5, he says, seeing these crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, and then he launches into these beatitudes. He launches into these statements that were actually very shocking to a Jewish audience. Because remember, Matthew being Jewish himself is writing for a Jewish audience. And Jesus being Jewish himself is taking 1,500 years of Jewish teaching and turning it upside down for those that are listening. Now, over the past three weeks, we see that Jesus said, blessed are you if you are poor in spirit, you mourn and you are meek. And as we have learned this word blessed or blessed, the Greek word is marikos. It literally means to be happy or to be fortunate. So you could take any of these words and substitute there. Happy are those, blessed are those, fortunate are those. And so we're going to be in today in verse 6 and we read it together. We say, we see blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Now in order to understand this fourth statement or beatitude, we need to break down three words here. Hunger, thirst, and righteousness. Happy or fortunate are those who have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. But as we look at these three words, I'm going to start with the last one first, righteousness. Because I think this is a word many Christians don't fully understand. This word is often a mystery to us. And if I could take a poll of all of you in here or listening today and ask you to define righteousness, I think the majority of you would say something along the lines of it has to do with living right or doing the right things. But what I want us to get into a habit here at Getwell Church as we study Scripture is to look at other places in Scripture where that word is used to see if we can gain deeper meaning. I've been taught and I believe this that the best interpretation for Scripture is Scripture itself. 
So if we do a word search here, we find that the word righteousness appears seven times in the Matthew's gospel. Five of them are here in chapters 5 and 6, which makes up the Sermon on the Mount. Righteousness appears in Luke's gospel one time and in the gospel of John twice. But So what we see here, Matthew is placing a high uh, hierarchy on this word. He wants us to understand this word called righteousness. So what we're going to do is we're going to take several other verses here in Matthew, look at them and see if we can gain a little bit deeper understanding. Let's look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if we read this, if I'm reading this correctly, in according to verse 6, we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness that will lead to persecution. We're to hunger and thirst after a kind of life that will cause us to pers be persecuted for our beliefs and our faith in Jesus. That turns meaning upside down for us in our modern world. So one meaning of righteousness is that it produces a life, a Christian life, that separates us from the rest of the world. Let's look at verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is telling us that this righteousness has to exceed, be greater than those of scribes and Pharisees of that day. Who were these scribes and Pharisees? They were the keepers of the law, the, of the Old Testament, of the Torah. They thought they were so important in their religiousness that they started adding to the law. They built this religious system that added rules and traditions that actually were not found in Scripture. They paraded around the temple in Jerusalem pointing fingers at those who didn't follow their way, their added rules. And Jesus himself lashes out at these scribes and Pharisees more than any other group. In other Gospels, he calls them a brood of vipers. And he is saying here that true righteousness doesn't look like them at all. No man-made religious system. You see, true righteousness is a result of a heart change. Righteousness is produced from the inside out, not obeying a bunch of man-made religious rules. Over the years, the church the global church, has been guilty of what I call this pharisaical righteousness that uh, should be producing from the inside out, but it's not because it's focusing on man-made rules. And the church has been so guilty of this. Over the years, you've, we've told people, if you dress up, wash up, put on that image, walk in here, look like us, you don't belong. And you wonder why our society looks like it does today. Look no further than the demands the church placed on human beings just in the 20th century alone. It was more about image than heart change. Let's look in chapter 6 at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people 
in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You see, Jesus is saying here that true righteousness doesn't need to be shouted from the rooftop for others to see and notice how good you are. The Pharisees, the scribes, they were the worst at this. They dressed up in their religious garb. They prayed loudly in public. They made a spectacle of themselves to show how righteous they were. What about our world today? And I can't think of another area where this is abused more than in the world of social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, people spouting at each other, and even in the Christian pastor world, touting their works at the same time while throwing accusations at others who aren't as righteous as they are. This is not the practice of righteousness Jesus is talking about, nor he desires of us. He wants to be the only one to see our righteousness. Then the last verse that we're looking at for this is Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It doesn't say maybe or might be. It says will be added to you. To you. See, Jesus is talking about his kingdom versus the world. And what we have to ask is what do we seek in our lives? His kingdom or the world? It's about priority. It's about putting God and his righteousness first. And we all have to ask this question what is first in my life? What is it that I desire the most? What is it, church? Look around us. Is it comfort? A large bank account, is it fame to be the best baseball player, to have the most likes on social media, to retire early, climb the social ladder, be a CEO? We could go on and on. We all have our priorities, but what we battle is the order of placement of those priorities and where God fits in the mix. And it really is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world and what it claims to offer. See, putting Jesus first and his righteousness should be our goal. It should be the standard. But Satan and the world fights that. You see, when we first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it says everything you need will be given to you. Notice I said need, not want. Seeking his righteousness means letting his word set the standard for your life. That's what's pleasing to him. Given these four verses, I've tried to come up with a definition here. So I'm going to give it my best shot. A life in Jesus is not afraid of persecution in the world, exhibits a heart change from the inside out, doesn't seek the approval of others, but the approval of God before all things. I was told I needed to say that again. (laughs) A life in Jesus, not afraid of persecution from the world, with a heart changed from the inside out, not seeking the approval of others, but the approval of God above all things. That's what righteousness is in our definition. So now that we kind of have somewhat of a handle on that, let's turn to the other two words, hunger and thirst. 
You see, Matthew is painting a specific picture here that a first century Jewish person or anybody listening in the first century would totally understand. Hunger and thirst was common at that time period. Most of the people of that day were poor. They lived a life of poverty without convenience. There were no grocery stores. There was very little running water, and they understood when Matthew is painting this picture how they were to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's hard for our culture to grasp that concept, because I dare say that there are many sitting here today listening online that have had that type of hunger or thirst that they've had to deal with that the first century did. I mean, we're constantly, what, running to our refrigerators for snacks or glass of tea, water, soda. We have so many choices of eating that we walk down the block, take your pick, places to find refreshment. But Jesus is using these metaphors of food and drink as a representative of a spiritual hunger, spiritual hunger and thirst that is necessary for a righteous life. So how do we find this? How do we find this type of hunger and thirst that satisfies our soul? Well, first of all, you've got to have a hunger to begin with. You've got to want and desire to live a righteous life. These two Greek words here for hunger is penal, and it means to feel the lack of, the pains the lack of, and desire something so strongly. The thirst is dipsal, and it means in addition to being thirsty, to have a strong desire to attain that goal. You see, this desire that we should have in hungering and thirsting is a deep pain from within that wants us to attain a goal. It is gut-wrenching. It is a desperate kind of hunger and thirst. The psalmist knew this as well. Let's look at Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants, for my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. This is a desperate desire, a feeling of intensity that is required of all of us in seeking righteousness. Church, do we have this? Do you have that kind of desperation for Jesus and for his righteousness that changes your heart from the inside out where you're not worried about approval for human beings, but you're seeking Jesus' approval above everything else? That's where we have to ask ourselves these questions. It's saying to Jesus, Jesus, I desperately need and want you. But here's, here's the rub. Our hunger and our thirst requires something. It requires action. You know, hunger and thirst are not satisfied until we actually take the steps to go eat and to drink. It's one thing to say, I hunger, I long for God, but if you do nothing about it, you still have a hunger and thirst. And see, church, this is a warning sign for us. If we have no gut-wrenching desire for righteousness and we take no action to feed us and give us drink, we are sick spiritually. And when we are sick, we usually go to the wrong places for the cure. 
Instead of running to Jesus, we run to things of this world that Satan dearly loves to have us going towards. Some people seek cures in alcohol, pornography, affairs, excessive spending, possessions, performance, and yes, even our sports teams. We run after these things so desperate for food and drink that none of these things will ever or could possibly even satisfy us. We also use an occasional study of Scripture or even an occasional serving moment to act as our quick snack. And we think we've been fed. It helps for a little while, but it keeps us spiritually malnourished. None of this, none of this fills us like the nourishment of itself when we are on our knees in the presence of Jesus. And notice this, if you've got any English teachers in here, those two Greek words Jesus gives are expressed in the present participle. It means to hunger, it means to thirst, they are ongoing continually, it doesn't stop. We as Christians... Followers of Jesus don't stop hungering and thirsting for righteousness once we become a Christian. This type of hungering and thirsting is continual. It makes us want to come back more and more and more and be like Jesus and be like him. And once you have truly encountered Jesus, you want more and more of him. One theologian stated this. He says, if you claim a relationship with Jesus but you aren't hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you need to honestly ask yourself the question, do I know him? Because here's the thing I know, we are called to seek him and his righteousness fully and wholeheartedly. And true believers don't seek him in bits and pieces. If we truly hunger and thirst after righteousness, we want it all. Look at Psalmist in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Total parchment, total hunger. And here's the problem that we see today in the modern church. Sadly, and I'm saying globally, we want just enough of Jesus and his righteousness that gets us in right standing with him but doesn't change us. We want the fire insurance policy to avoid hell. But we really don't earnestly hunger and desire the righteousness that changes us on the inside. Why? Because if we are honest, deep down, we kind of love that sinful life. The modern global church is full of people who have had what's called cosmic surgery so that, you know, we look all nice and holy on the outside, but in our sinfulness, we really don't want that radical transforming surgery that would change our lives and ultimately change the world. If you don't believe me, how about turning on the TV and looking at the world around us, particularly this week? Church, the world is where it is because Christians for the past few generations did not hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we didn't pass it on. Go on social media, read the comments. The pagan world looks at us modern Christians and says, if that's what Christian looks like, I don't want any part of that. 
Ask yourself today, am I ready to live in a different way? Will I truly commit to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Church, if you are, then God promises something glorious for us that he will give you. He says, you will be satisfied. The other, other, you will be filled. You will be filled. You will be satisfied with what? Food? No. Money? No. Everything your heart desires? No. Perfect family? No. Trouble-free life? No. What is it? You will be filled with righteousness. If you want righteousness, you can have it. If you want that Christian lifestyle that changes you from the inside out so that you no longer seek the praise of man but causes you to seek God's approval above everything else, you can have it. And it's available to all of us. Here's something I once read from a fellow pastor, and instead of trying to rephrase it, I'm just going to quote him because I don't think I can state this any better. He says, let me go out on a limb and make a bold statement. Whatever you want in the spiritual realm, you can have it if you want it badly enough. I don't think we appreciate the importance of that truth. Most of us are about as close to God now as we want to be. We have about as much joy as we want. We have about as much peace as we want. For the most part, you are right where you are now because that's where you want to be. If you were hungry for something better from God, you could have it. If you want it, you can have a close walk with God. If you want it, you can have a better marriage. If you want it, you can do God's will. If you want to, you can become a man or woman of God. If you want to change deeply ingrained habits, you can do it. If you want to break that destructive path of behavior and those patterns, you can do it. When you are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, when you want what God wants more than anything in the world, you will have it. He promises that. And we can be assured of this because if you are filled with Jesus himself, that is our ultimate satisfaction. Today and throughout these series, this series, we're focusing on these sayings. Mostly in chapter 5 verses 1 through 12. And it makes up the Sermon on the Mount of the Beatitudes. But Here's a challenge for you. This sermon actually is covered in three chapters. It's chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And so my challenge for you this week is go read those three chapters because it really, really gives us such a deep meaning of what this means. He promises satisfaction for those who hunger for his righteousness. It is a promise from God and we don't even go after it. And just like Jesus in his parables and everything else, he ends this Sermon on the Mount with a warning. And if you look in chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, I think we have to examine this, church. 
This is what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who, what? Does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, meaning the last day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are folks that thought they knew him. They thought it, but they were strangers to him. I never knew you. Why? Because they had not hungered and thirst for righteousness. It was all in their work. They were religious probably gone to synagogue, gone to church. They'd gotten involved in those religious activities of the Pharisees and the scribes. But the passion, the hunger, the thirst of their lives was not righteousness. And therefore, they are not satisfied. They will not be satisfied neither in this age nor in the age to come. You see, deep and lasting satisfaction of our souls comes not from the delights of the world, nor from religious stuff or a vertical relationship. Satisfaction comes from God whose passion in life is strictly to know him and then to struggle like he did. Jesus' appeal was always personal. Think about this. He calls 12 men, 12 Jewish men to follow him. They drop everything and follow him. There's something about this Jesus, God on earth. He never said, come and join the church. No, come and give me money. Come and give baptized and do it a certain way. He says, you will be satisfied. You will be filled. You will be filled with him himself. If you're hungry, other scripture says, come and eat the bread of life. If you're thirsty, come and drink the water of life. If you are weary and heavy laden, come. If you're guilty, come, be forgiven. If you are far from God, church, come back home. He's here. Church, we have, so many of us, have filled our hearts with junk food of the world. And no wonder we are so miserable and unhappy No wonder we jump from thing to thing, from job to job, from one relationship to another. We have full stomachs from the world, but empty hearts. Some things when are asked of you by Jesus himself that run through our heads is, no, I'm not going to give up that weekend. Not going to do it. My lifestyle, my stuff. Trade a broken marriage and a failed career for peace and forgiveness? Nah. Give up my drug addiction, my alcohol addiction, my porn addiction to be forgiven for my sins? No way. You think I can replace anger and bitterness with peace and contentment? I can't take that chance. See what we say? It's no wonder we're where we are. We're trapped in a pit of a thousand excuses and those excuses keep us in misery and in pain and we're okay with that rather than risk it all on Jesus that says, I'm going to satisfy you. 
Listen to me. If you've heard nothing else today, hear this. You will never be happy ever, ever, ever until you put God first in your life. And you can never do that till you surrender to Jesus. I'm going to say that again. You will never be happy with anything in your life until you put God there. And that requires surrendering to Jesus. See, here's the good news. In the kingdom of God, everything begins with a seeking, thirsting heart. Salvation begins with a hungry heart. And if you are tired of the life you're living now, you can start over. You get a new one. Remember our definition of righteousness earlier? Our life in Jesus is not afraid of persecution from the world. We have a heart that's changed from the inside out. We're not seeking approval of the world or of man, but we're seeking the approval of God above all things. Whatever you want in this spiritual realm, you can have it if you want it badly enough. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? And if you are, you need to come to him because this is the promise that he gives us. We'll invite the praise team to come back up now and I'm gonna invite you. These rails are open. If there's something you need to confess, if there's something you need to turn over, if, you need, if you've run from God and you need to come back, here, do it. Don't, don't, don't put this off. It's too important. Nothing satisfies us but the righteousness and our hunger and thirst for it through Jesus. Let's pray. Holy God, we come before you now. We fall at your feet. We confess our sins. We know that we haven't lived the life you wanted of us because we haven't been hungry for you. We haven't been thirsty for you. We haven't sought that type of righteousness that you so freely give, but you just say, if you just take it, I'm going to give it in abundance and satisfy you. So I pray for everyone here today, those listening, if they've, if they've walked away, come back. Help people to understand that we are nothing without you. We will never be happy in this world with what the world offers, but it is only through you. Help us to desire, to hunger, to thirst Jesus for you continually in and all through all things. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray.